This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station. Live from the Auction Community Studios for the next half hour for ASU Basketball. A rare Thursday edition of the Rundown. Luke Lipinski here with you. Michaela Perkins behind the glass. Michaela, how's your week going? I think it's the first time we've seen each other. I know. It's so weird. I feel like my life is incomplete without you. Well, it's very strange when we don't have a show together. It's going to be complete for a total of 30 minutes then. That's okay. I'll take it. All right. Let's, uh, well, that's, that's the high note. I can't get any better than that, so let's just jump right into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. We will start with the Phoenix Suns dealing with uh, yet another injury to a key player. DeAndre Ayton dealing with a, an ankle injury, and we don't really know when he's coming back, which unfortunately is something uh, something familiar. Here's Monty Williams when he was asked about it. I do. For sure I do. Um, he wants to play. Uh, he was down the other night um, because he couldn't get back out there, but I don't see this as season-ending at all. All right, well, that's the key. I mean, you don't want it to be season-ending. In my mind, DeAndre Ayton's development and evolution is the biggest story left for the Suns this season. They're 24-38 and 38 on the year, going to miss the playoffs. Right now on pace for about 31, 32 wins. You know, it's it's now a it's a fine line they have to walk because you obviously don't want to rush him back, and they're not going to. But there's value to him playing here. I mean, we want to go into next season feeling like DeAndre Ayton is 100% ready to go, maybe on a bit of a roll going into this offseason. That'd be nice. They talk about all these different things the Suns might be able to do this offseason, but we've been talking about that for three years. So the one thing you know you have that can improve going into next year is DeAndre Ayton. Like, you figure you'll have a healthy Kelly Oubre next year. And that's great from this point right now, but you had a healthy Kelly Oubre for most of this season, and you're at 24 wins. Devin Booker's going to be great next year. He's great this year. It's it's not adding up to enough wins. The one thing you know will change, well, the one thing you know you will have that could change for the better this offseason is DeAndre Ayton. And so... You could look at it quickly and say, yeah, 387 winning percentage this year. If Aiton's hurt for the final 20 games, what's the big deal? I think it's a big deal. And that's why it's good to me to hear Monty Williams say right there, he's not going to be out for the next 20 games. But we don't know how long he's going to be out. And again, I think that's the biggest thing left for the Suns this season is to finish this season on a relatively high note and get DeAndre Ayton now back and healthy and then get him going uh, in the right direction. On to the Arizona Cardinals. Uta Baker on with Doug and Wolf this morning. Had a lot to say, but uh, he was asked about his expectations for the 2020 season in particular. Uh, me, I mean, I always have high expectations. Uh, I feel like if you don't, something's wrong with you. But definitely this year, you know, the first three years have not been what, you know, as an organization, what we want. Right. So this year, I feel like we have the quarterback situation handled. And, you know, now it's building, uh, you know, pieces to the puzzle. So I'm just very excited. I have, you know, 
tremendous respect for the front office, and you know I can't wait to see who they bring in because I know whoever they bring in, we're, we're going to be we're definitely going to be better. Now, Buddha always has seemed like an optimistic guy ever since he got here, and it's great that he has good expectations for, for 2020. I mean, he should. But how about specifically with the defense where he's an expert? Me, personally, I feel like we're going to be hand in day better. Um, it's 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 first time for me that I have the same coaching staff been in the league. Mm-hmm. So just having the same coaching staff, having the same faces and all that type of stuff, that's definitely going to help because, you know, as you know, a grown man, having a new guy come in every time you have to, you know, learn him and right. to do all that type of things to be a better football player so I feel like having these guys we already know what they are we we know how they coach we know how they play the defense and the game so I'm just very excited to get better in, in that aspect yeah I think there's a lot to that just the continuity from one season to the next the Cardinals just have not had that in recent years and there's always the the argument the other way of, hey, these guys are professionals. If you're good enough, you'll overcome that. And, and also mixed in, they, they couldn't keep the previous coaching staff. They had to mix things up. They've, they've had to make some changes. The year before, Bruce Arians retired for a year. So some of this was unintentional. Some of it ultimately proved to be necessary because they had to move on from what they had going on in 2018. I get all that. But you, you limit your ceiling. Teams don't make deep playoff runs making coaching changes every year every other year and so if you want to let your players develop and you want to get the most out of them individually and collectively you have to have some continuity so that to me out of everything Buda Baker just said right there is the one that really stands out and I think Buda is one of the best players on the defense I mean he's not Chandler Jones he's not Patrick Peterson at his at his peak I don't know if we're getting that next year but I'm pretty confident in Buda Baker, but specifically what he just said right there about some continuity from one season to the next. The defense should be better next year, especially if they go out and add a, another big piece in free agency or use that number eight pick on a guy like Isaiah Simmons. D-backs, national expectations do not match up at all with local expectations. I don't, I don't, I don't know a lot of people around here that think the Diamondbacks are going to win the World Series or anything, but I don't know. I, I think I have a pretty good healthy hope that this team should be a wild card team maybe if you're a really optimistic fan you think they could push the Dodgers and make things interesting in the NLS but those have not been the projections uh, around Major League Baseball the D-backs and this is kind of odd to me considering the moves they added the, the pieces they added in the offseason the moves they made the D-backs nationally do sort of seem to be an afterthought right now Derek Hall on with Doug and Wolf was asked if he is upset by the poor national projections. No, I, I don't think so. I, I think the, the projections have really been the same for the last three or four years. And, you know, it's up to us to perform the way we think we can perform. I know when our guys build a team, build a roster, they're they're looking at needs, they're filling holes. Um, they, they keep those in mind too. But, you know, what's the alternative? You know, just throw in the towel and assume you can't you can't catch the, the, the Dodgers. I mean, we're certainly going to give it our best shot. I think we improved over last year with the moves we made. We'll see. Yeah, I don't think the Diamondbacks mind being overlooked. I don't think they mind going into this season with a chip on their shoulder. It's not like college football or even college basketball where your preseason ranking matters. And if you're ranked outside the top 25 in college football, even if you go out there and have a great season, it's going to be tough to move all the way up because you started so far behind the other top teams. Diamondbacks have 162 games to go out there and prove everybody wrong. I think they're pretty confident in what they have. If people want to overlook them, and, and I don't think I don't think like the Dodgers are going to overlook the Diamondbacks. I don't think other teams in the National League are going to, but I don't think they mind having that as a rallying cry in the clubhouse right now because they're already over 500 last year, and you essentially 
your main moves in the offseason were adding Madison Bumgarner and Starling Marte. So on paper, you should be getting better. Back to the Suns. There's a story out there on SB Nation, and got to get into it. I think it's written pretty well, but I hate it. Like, I just, this is the stuff. We need to raise the expectations for the teams in this city. The title is why it's okay to get excited about the Phoenix Suns. And look, I'll give them full marks. They go through and they they carve up what the Suns have done over the last four and five years specifically. But then they go through and say, here's you know here's a couple different reasons why you should be excited about this team going forward. And, and it's important to note, this is not written by the Phoenix Suns. It's SB Nation. And I'm not even arguing with the the stats that they use or the individual arguments they make. I'm just, I'm not excited at this point. I I believe that they have improved this year, this past weekend notwithstanding. I do believe they're going to improve next year. I think they could push for 40 wins next year. I'm not excited about 40 wins after 11 years of missing the playoffs. So I think mainly the thing that bothers me about this is the terminology. I want this team to succeed, obviously. I love sports. I live in the city. And my job also means I'm going to be watching a lot of their games. And it's a lot more fun to cover the playoffs than 19 win seasons. I do believe they're improving. But exciting? No. You're going to have to show me before I get excited. We've we've done enough years of this of, oh, but they could be good. I, I don't care until you do it. And they go into depth. They talk about how... Aiton has taken steps forward this year, which I agree with, and how they have Devin Booker to build around, which it, it, there's not a lot of players I'd rather be building around than Devin Booker. But they've had him, and they haven't been winning. They talk about how their uh, their net rating is 15th in the NBA. That's cool. That would be cool to me if the Suns had made the playoffs the last three years and then were having a down year this year, and you could use that as the argument of, don't worry, it's just sort of a weird year, but, but their underlying analytics indicate they'll be back. I don't go to the games to watch for their net rating. I want to see wins at this point. So I'm completely on board that they're improving. They have shown improvements this season. I think more so in the first half. They're getting hit hard by injuries now, and I'm never going to hold that against the team. The suspension to DeAndre Ayton, I like the guy. I hope he does well. I think he's going to prove to be a really good player for this team for years to come. He's never going to be Luka, but you can't hold that against him. But you can't hold the fact he got suspended for 25 games at the start of this year against him because the eighth seed in the Western Conference this year, it was there for the taking. And it's not completely his fault that they're not going to make it, but not having the guy that's supposed to be your second best player for 25 of the first 26 games, that held you back. There's there's no way it didn't. So are they improving? Absolutely. But I, I don't need to hear about underlying analytics or how I should be excited about them because at a certain point you have to show me why I should be excited for you. And the only way you can show me after 11 years of missing the playoffs is wins. That's that's it. So do it. I think they're going to – They're what I say they're on pace for about 31 or 32 this year. In the first half of the season, you felt a lot better about the direction they were going. The second half, they're kind of starting to – to trail off a little bit when we get to June and July and I mean, we're all going to get excited again when, when June hits and they're coming up on, on the draft and they have a relatively high pick and we're looking back saying now oh, they improved by 12 or 13 wins or whatever yeah that's that's great and that's true and that's what you have to do as a fan because you love the team but I'm not going to get excited about 32 wins I'm not going to get excited about 40 wins going from embarrassing to mediocre isn't exciting And next year, if you go from mediocre to, like, league average, even that's not exciting. And I want to talk about this team, and I feel like we do this too much. We talk about them like they're the Houston Rockets. Like, they're right there every year, but they're just missing a piece. 
probably get to the second round of the playoffs every year. A couple years ago, they got to the Western Conference Finals. They're so close, they just need one or two more things to go their way to put them over the top. No, we're talking about getting to a 500 record and it taking a long time to get there. So exciting is not the terminology I would use. I do think they're improving. Maybe a year from now, if they really are knocking on the door of 40 wins on March 5th, 2021 and you want to tell me yeah be excited about this team for 2022 okay but until I see playoffs not even not not remotely excited I'm invested I expect improvement excited is not the word I would use all right when we come back baseball's biggest villain for a pretty good chunk of the last 20 years has weighed in on the Houston Astros we'll get his perspective next it's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station it's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. We are just under three weeks away from opening day. First of all, Michaela, resident base. How do you feel about that? I'm super excited. Okay. I, I can't wait. I don't know why I was expecting more right there. I, don't know, I was expecting like confetti and like one of those like <laughs> a party popper. Yeah, some noisemakers, maybe like an air horn or something. I you, just you still have time. I'm so excited. It's it's almost painful. I just wanted to be here. There's um there's some spring training on one of the TVs in here. Cardinals Nationals, eleven nothing in the bottom of the seventh. Sorry, sorry for the uh, spoiler alert. If you're recording Cardinals Nationals Grapefruit League. Delayed broadcasts, uh, and you're going to go home and watch it tonight because the the Nationals are uh, not looking great in this game. But it's we're close. There's a lot more juice around the uh, the league this year in the off season. Maybe juice isn't the right word because I guess there's more juice around the sport in the '90s. There's more buzz around this uh, this sport this off season for some really good reasons locally. You go out and you get Madison Bumgarner, you get Starling Marte. There's there's some intriguing player movement around the league, but obviously the biggest story has been the Astros cheating scandal. And there were a couple days where I do think the league quietly, and they would never admit this, was probably like, hey, this isn't bad. They're, everybody's talking about us in December, and you've got this huge rivalry, and now now they have they have a heel. I'm not a huge wrestling guy, but I understand the concept of, of having a heel when you're trying to get people invested in your story. But after about 48 hours, I think baseball realized they have an issue that's, that's bigger than just, hey, this team cheated a couple years ago. No, they they won the World Series, and nobody really believes that they would have won if they didn't cheat. Or at the at best case scenario, you don't know. Were the Astros the most talented team in 2017? Probably. Right there. I mean, if you're a Dodgers fan, Yankees fan, Indians fan, I mean, there's a couple fan bases that have a claim that, no, they, they cheated, and that's why they won. I'm not going to argue with you. That's You lose the benefit of the doubt when you cheat. But now we have this very unique season where everybody hates the Astros. The other 29 fan bases, everybody wants their team to win, and then they just want anybody except the Astros to win. Now, this is Alex Rodriguez, who was not very likable when he played. I grew up in Seattle. I was a kid when he first uh, came up with the Mariners. I didn't even like him then. So <laughs> I'm not the only one. And then he, when he left Seattle, he became even more unlikable. This is what he said about the Astros, specifically their non-apology when they could have tried to, to at least start the healing process this spring. I think the one thing that really has upset the fans is you, you cheat, you win a championship, there is no suspension, and then there's no remorse. 
And the last one, I think, is probably the worst one because people want to see remorse. They want a real, authentic apology, and they have not received that thus far. And I can just tell you this, Maddie, from, from a guy who has made, you know, as many mistakes as anybody on the biggest stage, I served the longest suspension in Major League Baseball history. You know, it cost me well over $35 million. And you know what? I deserved that. And as a result, I came back, I owned it after acting like a buffoon for a long time. I had my apologies, and then I went dark. And I wanted my next move to be contrite, but I also wanted to go out and play good baseball and change my narrative. And the way you change your nar narrative is you have to be accountable. You've, you've earned all this negative talk. You've earned whatever comes your way, including whether it's hit by a pitch or negative press. You have divorced yourself from having the ability to protect yourself. Yeah, there's a lot to unravel in there with A-Rod. And I know some people hear that and they're like, well, it's A-Rod, so... What do I care? Because he lied while he was playing and, and all the different things he basically just admitted to without going into detail right there. I almost think that carries more weight because it's A-Rod, who, by the way, has become so much more likable after he retired. Before this, just as a broadcaster, he's just, he's just been more likable. He wasn't very likable when he played. But there's a lot he says in there that resonates with me, and I think it resonates with a lot of fans. I'm sure there are Astros fans that are a little upset about this, too. You just may never hear it from them. But the you have to have accountability, and you've earned what's coming your way. You've earned getting thrown at and booed by every opposing fan base. I think that's going to go most of this season. Maybe not throwing at their players. That might just be the first couple weeks of the season or whatever, and then sporadically throughout the year. But if you're not going to hold yourself accountable, everybody else is going to. There was no authentic apology. Now, the pushback is when A-Rod played, you know, maybe he never really delivered that authentic apology but I think there's a lot of honesty in what he's saying right there of yeah even if he's admitting it a decade later he made a lot of mistakes and felt bad about it we haven't heard that from the Astros not only is there no suspension which is why everybody is upset with Rob Manfred but there's no remorse from the team at all and we're at the point now where if they collectively came out and apologized tomorrow it would mean nothing to me but that would that mean anything to you, Michaela? No, absolutely not. We're so beyond the point of return at this point that anything that they do or say from this point forward either won't make a difference or will just make the situation worse. And I completely agree with A-Rod. They handled this entire situation in the worst way possible. And if the biggest one of the biggest cheaters in the baseball history is calling you out, you know you have an issue. Yeah, and it's the way he did it. I mean, he didn't. He didn't necessarily have to reference himself, although that would have kind of been awkward if he didn't, given his past in Major League Baseball. But for him to talk about it, and you know, given his position within the sport now, it's, it makes sense he would have to talk about it. But for the, him to then sort of put himself out there and say, look, I know because I made not those mistakes, but other mistakes. I mean, he cheated. And he probably would have been one of the greatest hitters of all time, even without cheating. The Astros may have won the World Series in 2017 without cheating, but again, they lose the benefit of the doubt because they voluntarily did what they did. But to never hold yourself accountable and, and, and to just sort of, I mean, you're right. They couldn't handle it any worse coming out of this because it's like, oh yeah, everybody else just move on. No, you're the ones that did this, not us. I've been saying it all along, too. I have always been of the mindset that this situation could have been handled in so, like so many better ways. And the fact that they handled it with the most unapologetic, callous response 
I mean, it's just ridiculous. And I'm I'm not getting tired of talking about it because I have never in my life seen an organization as a whole and their players handle something so horribly. And it's just aggravating. Just own up to it. Apologize. They know that they made a mistake. And the fact that they're so unwilling to admit that to their fans, to the rest of the league, to baseball fans, it's just, come on. Like, I have no sympathy for you. You deserve everything coming your way this year. Well, and I, I mean, now I don't know what you do to fix it. It's not like it would have gone away by now, but if they came out as a team whenever they had that fake apology or whatever that was, and there was legit remorse, and they're like, yeah, we did this, and you know what? Internally, maybe we're always going to wonder if we were the best team that year. And like, really put yourself out there as a team, basically do the exact opposite of what they did. It wouldn't have gone away by now, but then we get into the season, and there's other storylines that emerge, and the Astros are going to be storyline number one to start the year no matter what. But over the course of the year, look, maybe the Astros go out there and they have another great season. I'm sure in their minds they think if we win the World Series this year, that's going to put it out of, out of the, the history books and nobody's going to think about it again. No. Everybody's just going to hate you if you win the World Series this year. So if you had handled it better and you went out there and had a really good year or whatever, I think a year from now this would be pretty far in the rearview mirror. Now I don't think that's going to be the case. And and a lot of the reason why is because of what A-Rod just said right there. All right, it would be wrong if we did not talk about the Coyotes after what they did last night. And I said that last segment, we have to raise the expectations for the teams in the city. And for the Cardinals, that's like, that's get to 500 next year. For the Coyotes, that's make the playoffs. I think for the D-backs, that's make the playoffs. Although, I'm not going to be as hard on the D-backs because they are the team that most recently made the playoffs. But the Coyotes, who started this year really strong and then trailed off there for a while, and there was this sort of ominous feeling around the team because they were losing and teams had games in hand on them. I think people maybe now are overlooking the fact that they're right back in it. They beat Vancouver last night. They started off what I think is their most important four-game stretch since they went to the Western Conference Final in 2012. And they started it off with a win, Although they were losing 2-1 to one midway through the third period, they come back, they get three goals in the final 10 minutes. They're up to 74 points. That ties them with Winnipeg and Vancouver, the two teams tied for the two wildcard spots. Up next, they play Calgary. They're three points behind them for third in the Pacific. It's very much within the Coyotes' control. First, as, as much as expectations had been quietly raised for this team coming into this season, I think if you told most Coyotes fans that with 14 games to go, your team's going to be in a three-way tie for the two wildcard spots and not that far out of third in the Pacific, really not even that far out of second in the Pacific, I think they would take that. Now, you go through all the ups and downs, and you had the injury to Darcy Kemper and, and the good start, but then you, you end up falling apart there for a little bit in the middle. That's the roller coaster ride, but here we are. And the way this basically breaks down, eight teams will make the playoffs in the West pretty good pretty safe to assume five of those spots are locked up with St. Louis, Colorado, Dallas, Vegas, and Edmonton. But for those other three spots, you've got six teams competing. The Coyotes are right in the middle of that. They're in a three-way tie for second among those six teams, and they're not that far out of the top spot among those six teams, and it's a team they play tomorrow. The thing about the Coyotes, and the reason I, I I would not stop paying attention to them yet, If they get into the playoffs, I'm not saying they're going to go on some deep run and win the Stanley Cup, but they have the characteristics of a team that can mess up the brackets. Darcy Kemper's come back. He's played two games since December 19th. He's looked outstanding in both games. He's the reason they won last night. 
and he was really good last Tuesday in his first game back. He hasn't he hasn't shown any signs of rust, which is kind of surprising to me. I thought it might take him a couple games. It hasn't. It took him. It didn't even take him a period. So, if you have goaltending, you can do some damage in the playoffs. You just have to get there first. All right, it's going to do it for us here tonight. Thanks to Michaela Perkins behind the glass. Thanks to you for listening. ASU basketball up next. It's been the rundown with Luke Lipinski on ninety-eight-seven FM, Arizona Sports Station.